Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Premier session number 558. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a wonderful guest who's going to share her story about struggling and recovering and doing it all and being a successful pre-med student. These are the episodes that you all seem to love, the success stories that motivate you and encourage you to tell you that it's not over yet. Before we jump in though and hear Andrea's story, I wanna talk about the MCAT Minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Did you know they have an amazing free account over at blueprintmcat.com where you get access to a half-length diagnostic and a free full-length exam. And we have covered all of those questions in detail on the MCAT podcast that you can check out over at mcatpodcast.com or in whatever podcast app you are potentially listening to this episode in. Go search for MCAT podcast and you'll find it. Uh, The aptly named MCAT podcast. Thank you to Blueprint MCAT for allowing us to go over those full-length exams and half-length diagnostic and giving you those free resources with a free account over at blueprintmcat.com. All right, let's go ahead and hear our story today. Andrea, welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Andrea, when did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? I knew that I wanted to be a doctor when um, it was kind of a growing up thing. Like I always knew that I wanted to do it, even though I don't have any family members that are in the medical field at all. Um, what kind of happened is I kind of stumbled upon the medical field being that in my home life, I have, I'm the middle child between two thrill seeking brothers. And so, um, all three of us would constantly get ourselves into trouble and sometimes our antics would land one of us into the ER. And so seeing the ER go from this crazy place of, you know, chaos and uncertainty and then bringing my brothers in there and then seeing them get fixed up and healed. It was kind of like a, even though there's so much going on right now in that, I don't know what's going to happen to my brother. How, how are they going to, you know, fix him? How are they going to fix his broken arm? Yeah. But now all of a sudden he's like walking out of there with a cast and like a smile on his face. I was like, that was, you know, magical. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, I really kind of, I'm interested in, in doing that to other people and making them feel like that. And so whenever 
um, I was growing up, I kind of started to, to dabble more doing volunteering, doing CNA work um, in high school. And mm-hmm. I was like, yep, no, this is the place for me. The place for you. So everyone should grow up with uh, Evil Knievel as a family member. Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. Um, I really want to go into medicine. <laughs> you understand that world. So you, uh, I'm assuming at that early age, right? High school, you're dabbling around and stuff. You start college going, hey, I'm a pre-med. Uh, I want to be a doctor. Did, was that the path? Yeah, full bar. I was like, this is this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. Um, I've already kind of started by that time looking into other health professions, like being a CNA, um, being a nurse, like looking, doing those kinds of shadowing. And I was like, but being a physician, I don't know, always stood out to me. And Mm so as I started to explore that more, I was like, no, this is, this is definitely what I want to do. Yeah. What, what was it about physician? Because I think a lot of students go through this struggle of like PA versus NP versus physical therapy versus dentist versus vet versus like physician MDDO. Uh, what was it for you that was like, Oh yeah, I, I need to get that MD or DO. For me, it was the autonomy that the physicians had in uh, figuring out what way is going to be uh, the best plan of plan of action or course of action for their healthcare needs. Um, and especially as I started to continue in my journey, I discovered DO. And that's when I knew that I, um, being a, osteopathic physician was going to be the medical philosophy that I uh, related to a lot. And so seeing those social needs, seeing those, um, the mental needs, seeing the physical needs of the patient, and then working from there. And I was like, you know, I really um, align with this medical philosophy a lot. And so that's when I knew that the DO was going to be the route that I was going to uh, strive for in my medical career. Knowing that you wanted to go to college to be a pre-med student and explore the the healthcare world, how did you decide what school to go to? So I um, originally got a full ride scholarship. So it's pretty easy. I got a full ride scholarship to a state school and I was like, you know, this is great um, because I had the financial means um, and I had that, that basis of like, okay, I have the financial piece out of the way. I can kind of really succeed on my academics. Mm-hmm. However, that all kind of changed when my family moved to a different state and that funding was no more because now I was an out-of-state student and my funding was for an in-state student. Oh, so, no. um, that, that kind of really threw a wrench in things. And I was like, well, it looks like I need to transfer. And, um, at that time I transferred in 2019 and that's when, <laughs> that's when a lot of things started to happen with that, that perfect pre-med journey was definitely disrupted. What, what happened? When I moved in 2019, um, uh, financially, my parents, they had, um, some means to be able to help and support me, but, um, with the school that I decided to go to, uh, it was very expensive. Mm-hmm. And so I did have scholarships, um, but my dad lost his job like right before I started. And I was like, well, that (laughs) that's going to be a little bit rough in uh, financially. So I picked up a job working 12 hour night shifts as a patient care technician at a local hospital. Um, How many nights a week? uh, Two or three. Typically I tried to do it whenever I wasn't going to be in school. Like I tried to do it on the weekends, but sometimes that wasn't always the case. And I had to do like a Wednesday or Thursday, which was really rough. It's still devastating for your sleep cycle and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And then um, I have a degenerative retinal disease that um, it's called lattice degeneration Mm -hmm. and it just 
really started to rear its ugly head in the fall of that semester. I had you you five, knew already that you had this. I did know I had it already, but it was it was like at bay and it was um, like stabilized. Yeah. And then um, in the fall of 2019, all of a sudden I started developing a lot of holes in my retina. And not um, not a good thing, were, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I know you haven't were, started med school yet, thing. but not a good thing. No, they were fearful that I was going to have a retinal detachment yeah. literally at any moment. And so, um, and that was going to put me out for months. And so they were trying to do preventative surgeries, preventative laser surgeries, which were still not pleasant. <laughs> and then I, on top of all this, like on the icing on the cake is that my mom got diagnosed with thyroid cancer mm. and we had to kind of travel that along as a family. And so my world absolutely crumbled whenever I whenever I moved to the, to the, my uh, next university. So it, it was less so new school, new environment, well, harder. I, mean, I yeah. did try my hardest to like get involved as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, but still you don't know anybody and the pre-med, um, society in that, in that school was pretty cut, cutthroat. And so, uh, a lot of people already had established friend groups and yeah. I still tried my hardest to get involved, but, um, that on top of everything was just kind of, kind of just really took a toll on me academically and emotionally and physically. Yeah. Uh, academically, you got a, a little smack on the hand on the wrist. <laughs> did. What happened? So, um, when I was at my other university, I had a 3.8 cumulative GPA. I mean, I was nice. rocking all of my pre-med classes, like organic chemistry. I had A's. I had A's in organic chemistry too. I had A's in biology, pre-med. I mean, everything you can think of, like I was doing the pre-med route yeah. completely. And, um, when I got to the new school, I started working 12 hour night shifts that will like trying to take a test when you're awake for over 48 hours. Isn't that great <laughs> mentally yeah. and then emotionally dealing with all these things. Um, I, I wasn't taking care of myself mentally, physically, and um, I ended up in the fall of 2019, I ended up with a, a 1.98 cumulative GPA and I got put on academic probation. What did that mean? Right. Because academic probation like is a word, but did that mean, cause you, you did mention you had a little bit of financial aid. Did that go away uh, or was it just like a warning that, Hey, do better next time? It was more of a warning, but I okay. still had a lot of things like um, I had all my extracurriculars kind of taken away. Um, I couldn't be involved in them anymore when you're on academic probation. And so that was also stripping away my, you know, my only social piece that I had that was kind of helping me meet friends yeah. and meet people at my university. So that was um, that was really difficult. And then it did have an effect on my financial aid, um, but I kind of started to already, I was already in the background working on having that covered, um, with the other scholarship. So okay. that's, I was already like, I could already see that the train was about to crash. <laughs> and so I was already kind of preparing myself of how I'm going to make this, you know, transition of, you know, I knew that I was about to, I knew the train was about to crash. So I was like, okay, I need to, I need to put stop gaps in place to help myself right now because right now everything's about to just collapse and it yeah. felt like it did. Yeah. How, how do you do that? Because lots of students are in your situation. They, they see the train crash coming and they just don't have the tools or knowledge or support or whatever it is to help brace for impact. But it sounds like you kind of 
did figure that out um, to be able to recover. So, so what was it that you did to minimize the impact of, of that collision? So um, during that semester, I knew that things were bad. Like I knew I was, I, I, I was uh, failing genetics and I knew I was going to fail the class uh, just based on uh, my current grades and the tests and what I needed on the final exam to pass. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is, this is about to be really bad. And I was just performing poorly in all my classes. And so I was like, about like midway to like the end of the semester, I was like, okay, I need to like turn this around. And if it wasn't going to be like, I'm still going to try my hardest, but I think the big thing for me was finding the support that I needed and, and having the courage to just stay, take the first next step in finding help and seeking out resources. Cause I knew I was at, at this point, I was like, I'm doing this alone and clearly this is not working right now. And so I need to find the support of other people to help me on this journey because right now I'm, I'm headed in a bad place. And that was validated when I got my academic probation email. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I've already started kind of turning this around. This is how I'm going to continue turning this around. Yeah. You, uh, entered a contest, um, to, to, to to make some money, uh, talk about, uh, the contest that you entered, what, what that was like to help support you financially through this too. Absolutely. So for me, one of my like favorite quotes is that you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. And so for me, I knew that my financial situation was just absolutely crumbling me academically. So even though I couldn't directly uh, fix the academic problem. I knew that I needed to kind of figure out what ways are going to be best for me to support myself so I can succeed in ac- ac- academically. And so for me, I looked at the Dr. Pepper tuition giveaway and I was like, oh, submit a one minute video on, you know, why, like how the money would help you. I was like, well, the money could help me a lot. <laughs> and so I submitted that one minute video. And I mean, I was selected as a finalist. Um, I got a call from the CEO of Dr. Pepper telling me that I was selected as a finalist and that um, he was going to fly me out to Atlanta in 2019 um, in December for the SEC championship game. And um, when I heard, caught wind of this, I was like, okay, I need to practice as much as possible. <laughs> how do you practice? Did they give you dimensions? Off. Like, how do you practice this? Yeah, he did. They did give us dimensions. Okay. Like, this is how high and this is like the diameter of the hole. And so... Um, my dad and my grandfather were like helping to like build this contraption so I could practice. Um, and I would practice all the time. I probably should have been studying more, but I was practicing. <laughs> all, <laughs> I was- all I can picture is like the Rocky theme song and you just shooting yeah. these footballs in the hole. <laughs> and I would actually, so one thing is that I would put headphones in that mimicked crowd noise. Crowd noise. Really yeah. Loud. That's smart. That way, whenever I was practicing, I was practicing like I was in the actual, you know, arena doing it. And it's I like doing full length exams for the MCAT. You got to yeah. practice like you play. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and so um, and then I when we actually went to Atlanta, um, I ended up uh, winning in the prelims, which is me and like four other people. I ended up getting first place there and the top two from there move on to the, um, the actual halftime show. And then from there, the rest is history. Um, 
Winner, winner, like chicken dinner. $100,000. Yeah, $100,000 scholarship. <laughs> That's awesome. If I go like 2019 SEC championship, Dr. Pepper, like, are, 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 do you have a YouTube video out there we can watch? Yeah, absolutely. I can send it to you <laughs> after this. But um, it's under my maiden name, Gather Cole. So okay. Andrea Gather Cole. I'm married now. So All right. That's, yeah, if you search Andrea Gathercole, you'll find it. That's fantastic. What was that like to to know that this this check, $100,000 is a lot of money that it potentially is going to help you um, not need to work nights uh, anymore to, to help just support yourself through this process? For me, it it meant the world because not only that, it also helped pay for like some parent plus loans that my parents had for me. Mm-hmm. And so that actually freed up my parents. Oh, they were living in like a two bedroom apartment yeah. in 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 Texas and with I, my grandparents and my brother. So there's like five people yeah. in this two bedroom apartment. And that actually freed up their debt to um their yeah. debt to income ratio and they were actually able to buy a house. And so I guarantee you, I I guarantee you that I saw your performance um, because Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow, right? It's Joe Burrow, whatever, whatever, Joe Burrow. I'm a Gator, right? So I'm a huge SEC fan. Um, But I remember and it it has to be because it's very unusual. I remember the winner going, I'm going to med school and I'm like, oh, it's a pre-med student. And so I, I bet you that was you that I watched. Most likely, yes, because I ha- did have an interview beforehand where I talked about like medical school and wanting to go to medical school. Yep. And so it was a little bit later because of like the academic stuff, but it's still happening. So that's- nice. I-, I wonder if I ha- I probably had a very selfish moment. I'm like, I wonder if she knows me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't at that time, but I did find you. <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, you you have this money. You're turning the ship around. Right. Um, a lot of people would have given up, right? 1.98 GPA, my that ship has sailed, right? I can't turn it around anymore. That ship has sailed. Did anyone in your life, whether it's a mentor, advisor, family, go, Andrea, you're crazy. You can't get into med school now. So um, I have a very supportive family, um, a family that's like, we don't, we don't take, you know, no for an answer. We don't talk about Bruno. (laughs) Yeah. I'm telling you, like chaotic family. So like, they're like, if you, you, you know, you're going to tell me like, I can't do something. I'm going to show you 10 reasons why I can. So I had a lot of support from my family, which was, I mean, I think critical during that time, having that emotional support of like, Hey, you know, this is what you want. This is what you've worked for your entire life. Don't let, you know, one bad year kind of, you know, take this and, and don't let one bad year set you on a path that you weren't meant to be on because for your whole life, you've dreamed of another path. And so for me, I was like, you know, why would I give this up if this is something that I I know deep down inside that I want? Mm -hmm. So, um, I appreciated that a lot, but I also think that it wasn't just family too. It was also the internal drive of, um, I know the impact that the medical field had on people because I had worked in it for so long. Um, and I, and I just genuinely loved it. And so I was like, you know, I can't say no to this and say yes to something else because my heart won't be in it. And I just knew that that wasn't going to be an option for me. Yeah. How did you know what next steps to take, if at all? Like, were you thinking post-bac, master's? Did you understand what those things were at that point? For me, the first thing was to 
improve my academic situation as best as possible. So it wasn't just the financial piece. It was also a mental health piece and a physical piece. And so during that time, I sought out the counseling resources at my university to try to better my you know, emotional state and just kind of keep me in a, in a positive mindset. And then um, from there, I worked on just academic study, study skills, um, going to the academic career center and, and getting resources and getting help. And I think that really helped to turn around uh, that year for me. And actually one year later from my academic probation, one year later, um, because I only went to that university for two years, I um, graduated with above a 3.0 cumulative GPA in the biochemistry, Matt, like the biochemistry undergraduate program, which was one of, it's one of the hardest at, at Baylor. And so I really kind of like, for me, it was just like, let me just finish undergrad as strongly as I can with that upward trend. And then from there, I was like, okay, I, you know, what to do when you have low GPA. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I discovered uh, a master's program at University of North Texas Health Science Center. And I applied and I got in. Okay. So you do the master's program. did you try to apply to med school before that? Or did you go straight into the master's program knowing you shouldn't apply to med school or didn't think it would be a good idea? Yeah, I knew right away that there was no way that I I was a strong applicant for medical school. Um, So you had taken the MCAT already too. I did have to take the MCAT because of my master's program. They required that. Um, If to apply, you have to take the MCAT. And I did not prepare as much as I could. I was just trying to finish undergrad. Mm -hmm. And so I took it in January of 2021 okay. and I got a like 492 and I knew it was going to be atrocious. Did they have a minimum or they just wanted you to take it? They just wanted us to take it, yeah. which I mean, I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, I was like, eh, I, I, I didn't want to have that 292 on there. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting, right? I, I like the fact, and I, I've had these conversations with lots of post programs and master's programs that require the MCAT. And the only good argument I've heard are programs like this, where there is no minimum. They just want to see that you are actually dedicated to this process because taking the MCAT is such a big hurdle to to do. But I, I love the fact, outside of the fact that obviously you're spending money and it is stressful, yeah. I, I like that there's no minimum. It's just like, just show us that you're willing to take it and and yeah. and then let's talk. I mean, it did also show my growth as well. Yeah. And I knew that my scientific foundation was already lacking because of, of the horrible 2019 academic year. And yeah. so um, it kind of honestly gave me a slate of where I could improve and what sections I could improve on. Um, and to just really focus harder on those classes in the master's program. So for me, I was like, okay, this is where I can improve. And, um, I kind of took that as like a starting, starting line in my master's program. Was there anything that you did differently academically in the master's program compared to undergrad to ensure success? Um, my master's program was still difficult because I was, um, I had just moved to a whole new city with my husband. And so um, inflation kind of started hitting us and we're like, you know, I really need to kind of pick up a job so that way I can help, uh, you know, uh, supplement the income that we're losing paying for my master's program. And so I did have to work during my master's program, which I wish I didn't, but 
Um, it wasn't, it was one of those things where I, I couldn't help it. And so, um, I definitely started to see how I could manage better my time management skills in my master's program than when I was an undergrad because of like now I could take those study skills that I learned in undergrad and apply them to a much more demanding schedule. And so I feel like that definitely helped. I wish I would have done better in my master's program, but this is also a testament to even though you don't feel like your master's program, you're not doing as well as you wanted to in your master's program, that it still doesn't mean that you can lose hope. Yeah. At some point you said, you know what, it's time. It's time to apply to medical school. Uh, let's talk about the application process. How many times did you apply? So just one time? I applied twice. You applied twice. What happened the first time you applied? The first time I applied, I was still in my master's program. I know you advise against that, but um, I was just finishing my master's program. My master's program finished in August of 2022. Okay. And so I was like, okay. So you had a semester of grades that weren't included. Okay. If I take the MCAT in June, Mm -hmm. then you know, I could, I could apply this cycle and like maybe get in. Yeah. Um, at this point I'm like, I just want to, I like, I've been running after this dream for so long. I was getting a little impatient. I have to, yeah. but, um, so I, I scheduled for the MCAT in June of 2022 and I was finishing my master's program, working full time and trying to fill out the med school application while trying to study for the MCAT, which I don't recommend. Um, and that showed in my score for sure. Okay. So another, got, another poor score. Absolutely. I got a 494. So I only got a two point okay. improvement. Okay. And I knew at that point that it wasn't just my scientific knowledge that was lacking. It was my actual like application of the science knowledge. I knew it was part science knowledge, but now it was time that I needed to learn how to apply what I was learning to the MCAT because it was a whole different animal than the regular tests in the master's program. Yeah. You needed to build a full-size Dr. Pepper bottle to throw footballs into. That's the problem. That's what I was missing. <laughs> um, so you, you go through the first application cycle. I'm assuming no interviews. I got one interview. You got Actually, an interview. I was I even surprised myself. I only applied to four schools because okay. I had like literally no money. <laughs> and so I, I applied to four schools, four DO schools. And um, I actually retook my MCAT in September. So okay. um, I was like, I got that score back in July. I got a 494. And I was like, there's no way that I like, I was like, if I could take it in September mm-hmm. and get a good score, then I could technically apply this semester. Yeah. Um, like I could finish my application. And so I was like, you know what? You know, uh, diamonds are made under pressure. <laughs> Give me three <laughs> I months love it. And I'll yeah. turn this around. Okay. And you so, took it a third time. And I think you did turn it around. I did turn it around. I took a, um, I did some, a lot of practice tests. I did, um, I mainly in that, in that time frame in those three months, I was working full time, but I was also doing MCAT full time, okay. really coming home straight MCAT stuff. Yeah. And I moved it by eight points. I got awesome. 502 in, in, in uh, September. Okay. But still didn't get an acceptance that cycle, even with that no. improved score. What do you think it was that held you back from those four schools? Um, I definitely think the, the first being that I applied so late okay. is because I took that MCAT attempt in September, that yeah. the, the decent one was in September. And so um, in October is when I actually put my application out there 
So I was like, I'm not going to pay all this money if I don't have like somewhat of a fighting chance. And so I didn't actually apply, apply until October. Um, so I was absolutely. Uh, so you didn't done. submit your application until uh, October. Okay. Got it. It was very late and I knew it was very late, but for me, I was like, if I could just kind of do my application and see where else I could improve mm-hmm. for the next cycle, I was like, I think I'll be more successful. Okay. Uh, but you got an interview. You got one interview. I got one interview. Yeah. I did. And and were you waitlisted after that? Were you outright rejected after that? Were you ghosted after that? What happened post that I one was, interview? Uh, so about a month after I took, I did my interview in March and about okay. a month after that, I got rejected. Okay. And that was for me, um, I didn't feel like the school actually knew me. They had an MMI interview, which I feel like is great. But for this particular school, the MMI interview was so strict and they had strict and like rigored kind of or rigid questions. Yep. Um, so even whenever you talk about how a medical school interview is supposed to be kind of a conversation, they started out with like a, with a question and then I would respond. And then they had, I had pre-made questions already made up. I'm like, we can't really back and forth on this. Not in an MMI typically. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Got it. So, um, what was that thought process? You rejected from the only school that you applied to. Were you ready to jump right back into the next application cycle? Um, I was because I was working behind the scenes. Okay. So like, so once I finished my application in October, I was like, okay, I need to redo this class in my master's program because um, not only did I not do well in it, I got a C in it. I was like, I, I want to know this knowledge base before I go to medical school. And so in June of that year, I already had applied and kind of did a post back of my master's program and did uh, did that class over and got okay. an A in it. Um, so I was already kind of like working behind the scenes, knowing that, okay, this is where my weak spot is like, okay, I'm not afraid to, I'm not afraid of my weak spot. I know what it is. It's my GPA. So let me, let me tackle that now. And so that's, that was that mindset. What was your master's GPA when you applied? When I applied right now, I think it was a 3.14, which is very low, Okay, (laughs) but Hey, it was successful. Okay. Uh, second application cycle, how many schools do you apply to? I've applied so far to 14 okay. and I had, um, I have one acceptance and I have one wait list right now. Okay. Two interviews total. Yes. Awesome. So you got your one acceptance. That's all it takes. That's what, all it takes. what was it like to get that acceptance? It was absolutely surreal. I actually got a phone call. Nice. Um, and it was the first interview, like in-person interview that the school had done since COVID. And mm-hmm. so uh, they were really excited to meet all of us and see all of us. And so getting the phone call the next week um, from one of the faculty members that I talked with was, oh, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't even put that that feeling into words. But also the feeling of accomplishment that I had, I got to share with my family and my friends and my loved ones who had been pushing me on this journey for, for so long and supporting me getting to see them celebrate too, I think was just an absolutely incredible moment for, for everyone. That's fantastic. How do you set yourself up for success moving forward, knowing there's another move in the future, settling down again with new classmates and new environment? How do you make sure you don't fall into the trap of uh, the, the moving issues you've had in the past? I think that the first thing is knowing where your weaknesses are going to be, kind of identifying them and then 
having the courage to just tackle them because for for my husband and I, we knew that finances were going to be a struggle for us. And so during this time, being able to save money, um, my husband getting promoted in his career and working in his career um, to better support me and us while we're in, while I'm in medical school is I think huge. Just, I think not being afraid of what your weaknesses are. It's kind of like during the MCAT, you want to practice the the sections that make you feel good because you're like, oh, I know this stuff. But it's actually the like the um, the sections where you practice that you're the worst at where yep. you actually see that growth. And so for me, I always knew that I was like, okay, what are going to be some things that we could potentially see as challenges and prepare ourselves day by day, bit by bit to make that not such a burden in the future. Love it. Love it. Being proactive, being intentional about that whole Absolutely. process. For the students, Andrea, listening to this as we wrap up here, who was recently placed on academic probation or has in the past and has been told there's no way they can get into med school now, what words of wisdom do you have to encourage them to keep pushing forward? I think the first thing is to seek out some kind of men mentor, fruitful advice, um, not being afraid to uh, just basically having the courage to move forward and identify your weaknesses and not be afraid to go after those weaknesses. And then also, I believe, enjoying the, the perseverance. Um, sometimes it's difficult in the low moments to really feel like there's a way out, but the only way out is up. And the way that you're going to do that is by bit by bit, piece by piece, finding those problems, finding the 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 hurdles that you're going to experience in the future. Um, not all of them are foreseeable, but if you can just keep moving forward and keep moving up and keep climbing, that there is going to be a way out and there is going to be a light at the end of the tunnel because it it's very nice to be on this side finally. <laughs> all right, friends, there you have it. Hopefully that was a great episode to give you some inspiration on your journey to medical school and beyond. I hope you learned something. I hope you laughed, you cried, you, you whatever, whatever emotions are, are good for movies and, and stories like this. Uh, I, I love telling these stories. If you have a great story, please reach out to us. We are always looking for new guests on the pre-med years. Go over to medicalschoolhq.net slash apply to apply to be on the show. And don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com and the MCAT podcast where you can get access to free MCAT prep on the road while you're doing dishes, doing laundry, all that good stuff. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.